0: Hello, Canada. Today's date is October thirtieth, twenty twenty-two. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense: Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan,
1: and Lewis out here in BC. How it goes it, my friend? Oh well, my uh, my season is done, so I'm not working now for uh, a few months, and uh, it's uh, it's it's really nice. <laughs> <I bet>. <laughs> <laughs> well, this year has been a bit of a crap show with, uh, with the, with employees, right? So it's, it's uh, been an extremely stressful year.
0: Yeah. Well, I suppose on the bright side, your taxpayer dollars are not any longer paying people not to work other than with EI and whatnot, which is at least excusable. But I remember you had said that you had a flurry of, of applications, when all, when all the Serban benefits were ending. So uh, yeah. maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel for next year?
1: Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, but are those the people you really wanna hire? The ones that sat at home for the last two years?
0: Well, well, that's a good point too, yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful Indian summer, that's for sure. And uh, I'm not afraid to call it Indian summer. That's what, what we referred to it as. And yeah. a gentleman from a reserve north of the city here had once told me that up yep, the creator gives us a just a little bit extra time to get ready for winter and that's what I've been doing it's been nice and warm here so yesterday got the backyard all cleaned up got all of our patio furniture put into a new shed and tearing down the old shed in the backyard and gonna have to cover up my hot rod today but but it's good at least it's nice and warm
1: well the uh I mean the 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 summer was really nice i mean it lasted a long time but i mean because because it lasted so long when uh when we did return to seasonal temperatures it was like a shock to the system because uh the daytime highs dropped by like 12 degrees in three days
0: oh geez (laughs) yeah
1: so we're now at seasonal temperatures out here so Oh, well, that's good.
0: Yeah, it yeah. should be. Uh, well, here in the prairies, it's always kind of a, a crapshoot whether or not the kids will get a nice warm day for Halloween for a trick-or-treating. Yeah, I, I know that my kids are growing up now, but we really only had, I think, one or two years throughout their entire childhood where we were actually able to go out where it was warm on Halloween. So <laughs> this year, yeah. the kids are going to get lucky.
1: So See, and I live in BC, so, you know... That's kind of every year.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I know we've had it from where it's been 20 below or where it's been raining or it's actually been nice. And this year it's, it looks like it's going to be a nice one. So, Yeah. So we're ready for the kids. But okay. Canada, we're going to get ready for you now. So uh, it's going to be a busy show Are a lot of smaller topics to, to, to bring up. So you'll see a lot in the and more section today, but on the show today, Danielle Smith gaining some steam, where in the world is Doug Ford, what the hell, Ontario, police agencies say no to confiscation, interest rates, and more. Where do you want to start, sir?
1: Oh, let's just start off with Danielle Smith.
0: Absolutely. So, Danielle Smith, I uh, have to give her credit, has not done the pivot that all the Left-wing mainstream media has suggested she had to do once she won the leadership. After all, she was only appealing to a small sliver of Albertans who were UCP memberships. She has said, hold my beer, and she has just kept on going. She is. Her latest announcement is there will be no vaccine mandates or
1: mask mandates in Alberta schools going forward. Bravo, Danielle. Yeah, she wants to pass uh, legislation that actually bans mask mandates. Isn't so, that fantastic? Yeah, so that's interesting. Um I I can't say I disagree with that. It, it's I mean mask mandates have been pretty damaging um to, you know, children's social development.
0: And that was part of what the she had put in the legislation too and uh the words that it would be, uh, I can't remember exactly how she phrased it, but it would be challenging for the learning environment at any rate. And uh, and she's right. I mean, especially in the, the younger years when kids are still learning, not necessarily how to speak, but learning more nuances of the language and whatnot, they need to see someone's face. They uh, need to see someone's mouth moving. They you know, have a lot of needs that masks are completely counterintuitive to.
1: Yeah. And I, we, we, um, my wife and I actually have a friend who's a speech pathologist and she said that she has never had more clients than she has right now oh uh, because, uh, and it's all children, um, all in their, you know, young formative years, uh, where they've been, you know, developing their, their, their speech skills. And, uh, Uh, She said that, uh, yeah, they've got, she's got more, more customers than ever. And it's, uh, it's actually quite challenging because, you know, children need to be able to see their, their teacher's mouth to know how they are supposed to make the sounds. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, that it's been a, it's a real, it's, it's been a real problem. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all for this legislation. I mean, we all know now, I mean, we knew before, but you know, now the rest of, uh, the society is caught up to you and I, (laughs) (laughs) they, uh, we now know that, that the masks really made no difference whatsoever. So why have them,
0: Yeah. Well, and the point was made too, and I don't know if she had put this in her legislation, but but the the point was made, well, by you and I and many others that, hey, you know, these kids are the healthiest they're ever going to be. Their immune systems are, are very strong and almost welcoming of new viruses so they can fight off so that they can build that lifetime immunity. And we're trying to stall that. So, we could be causing even more problems down the road if if we do mask up our kids. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm all in favor of that. She's done a great job. She hasn't backed down. And, in fact, she's doubled down on the World Economic Forum and gone so far as to say that the Alberta government is actually officially going to cut ties with any WEF programming agendas, et cetera.
1: Good. Enough. Yeah we've it's it, it seems as though we finally have a politician in this country with some balls and that politician is a woman
0: <laughs> yeah i'm uh yeah i mean i continue to be impressed with her she she you know she's actually doing what she campaigned on what she said she was going to do she had said in an interview last week that She plans to be in the legislature by December. She's currently campaigning in Brooks Medicine Hat for a a seat in the legislature. And so she says by December, she will be in the House. And by then, the Alberta Sovereignty Act will be ready to go.
1: Yeah, I saw that uh, yesterday, that that she said that the Sovereignty Act was going ahead. Um, You know, this this is the kind of stuff that I expect from Pierre Polyev. Um, this is the stuff I uh, would expect from any politician, really, from any stripe. You know, that this is, you should be protecting your provincial jurisdiction. The federal government oversteps into federal or into provincial jurisdiction on a regular basis, and most provincial premiers just sit there and go, Eh, what are you going to do? And it's mostly because of money. The federal government bribes them into letting them you or overstep into provincial jurisdiction by threatening to cut off funding for certain programs, usually healthcare. Um, and uh, and Danielle Smith is not having any of it. And so good honor, I'm I. Uh, I wish my premier would have done that. I wish my new premier would do that. But they're NDP. They're not going to do that. They are all too willing to give up uh, provincial jurisdiction to the to the federal government because then they can blame someone else for the problems we have.
0: Yep, that's true. I mean, the one more thing that Danielle Smith has done or is going to do, I guess, she has also said that I guess, and this ties in with the, the, the Sovereignty Act as well. She has just said simply that Alberta will not participate in any federal programs that, you know, are counter to Alberta's interests. And I thought, this is the kind of stuff when you and I lived in Alberta 20 years ago, we were advocating for. And so long overdue and
1: thank the Lord, she's we've found someone who's doing it. Like, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no. The it. I was. I was actually just thinking about that a couple days ago. I was like, this is the same stuff that that you and I were talking about when we were uh, when we were trying to help get the Alberta First Party off the ground, and uh, and those were those were main uh, policies of that fledgling party. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So it's interesting that she ran on an Alberta first uh, as her slogan and yeah, she just got some Alberta first ideas in her, in her platform. So uh, yeah, fantastic to her. So let's uh, segue that into all well, my province. Uh, Premier Scott Moe in Saskatchewan has, they had the throne speech last week and we'll talk about uh, an invited guest after this discussion. The Saskatchewan government has now decided it's time for a Saskatchewan Sovereignty Act. And actually, you pointed that out to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because that's where you live. Yeah. So you're welcome. Yeah, um, yeah no, the, uh, the... the Scott Moe said that, that they're going to come up with a Sovereignty Act of their own. Um, so congratulations for... Uh, you know, what were you doing the last five years there, Mr. Premier? I mean, well, it's like like <laughs> now you want to do it just because Alberta's doing it. I mean, I don't I don't honestly, I don't care what the reasons are as long as you're doing it. And uh, so I mean that's great. It just what took you so long?
0: Yeah, that's the thing, and see that's where the 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 liberal part of the Saskatchewan party shows its colors like um like in BC with the BC Liberals the Saskatchewan party is also kind of an anti NDP coalition uh, the party was founded in 1997 by four liberal MLAs and four progressive conservative MLAs who joined forces and the party has grown from there and yeah i mean Scott Moe is he's much more liberal than Brad Wall was obviously Brad Wall was probably the best premier in uh, modern Canadian history in my opinion but, uh, yeah, Scott Moe seems to wait for someone else to have a good idea then say, oh, yeah, let, let, let's try that. And you really saw that during the pandemic where Scott Moe would say, oh, shucks, this COVID thing, and then all of a sudden he'd see what Jason Kenny was doing or what Doug Ford was doing or whomever and say, oh, well, I maybe mean, that's a good idea. Let's try that. And it really did not serve him well during the pandemic. This, however, um, like you say, about damn time and – yeah, like you had said to me when we were texting about it, uh, doesn't matter that he's not first. It just matters that he's actually doing it now. So I'm I'm excited to see what he what this brings out.
1: Yeah, and I mean that I'm not going to say that that you know he's he's not a good leader because he takes good ideas from other people. That's what good leaders do: is they take good ideas from other people and use them. Um, because there are very few original ideas. Um, good ideas come from other people. And so, I mean, the fact that he's doing that is, is good. I mean, it's just, you know, he, he might be a little slow on the uptake, but hey, at least it's not BC where we don't do it at all.
0: <laughs> well, good point. And also in this throne speech, uh, the Saskatchewan government established a Saskatchewan Marshals service which is going to assist existing police agencies on executing arrest warrants, which is completely in reaction to the uh, Miles Sanderson case at the James Smith Cree Nation, because there were multiple arrest warrants that were uh, essentially ignored by the RCMP. So now the Saskatchewan Marshals Service, um, I'm guessing by saying marshals, I wonder if they're being sort of modeled after the U.S. marshals, because that's what they do. They chase down the bad guys and bring them in. So, uh, I'm actually quite excited about this. I hope that they actually have the teeth
1: to uh, do what's necessary. Well, I hope they actually have people to do it um, because nobody has anybody to work right now. So, um, and that includes the police, it includes healthcare, it includes everything. Like, we're everybody is short staffed. So, good luck in finding people to man. Your new Marshal Service, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's a good idea. I mean, there are some things that the U.S. does right, right, and that's that's one of them, is that the police in the states are not tasked with with uh, tracking down um, fugitives, right? The the Marshal Services, so the police can keep doing what they do, and Canada seems to think that we need one police service to do the entire to do everything right like the RCMP is to do everything in the justice system and um uh and we have learned that the RCMP is not capable of doing everything yet we keep tasking it with doing everything so uh good on good on Saskatchewan for uh taking a different route another taking a good idea from someone else
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, since you touched on the idea that the police are undermanned, you uh, triggered something else I'd heard this week, and that is that the RCMP protection details are sagging in numbers, as it were, because there are many other senators, politicians asking for, for police protection, and they were saying, yeah, they're actually running low on protective corps officers. Now, Justin Trudeau, I believe, has four. And I want to point this out because it, the hypocrisy smacked me in the face when I thought more about it. Justin Trudeau, who always talks about gender equality and you know the, the woke prime minister that he is, has four white dudes on his protection detail. Shouldn't there be two women and two men? And shouldn't one of them at least be an Indigenous person or a person of colour of some kind? Just throwing that out there.
1: Yeah, well... It's funny because, uh, you know, one of my favorite comedians, Joe Rogan, he has, or he used to have a, uh, a bit in one of his routines. And I mean, this is, this is years and years ago, so I'm not ruining his joke for anyone. Although I might ruin it anyway. Um, <laughs> he, he said, you know, that remember, remember years ago when, um, Obama was in office and uh, a guy broke into the White House and he went in through the front door and the only guard that was on duty at the front door was a female guard, like a female uh, Secret Service agent And, uh, and his joke basically goes along the lines of, you know, men and women are not equal in the physical strength department and he said hell men aren't equal in the physical strength department he said if i was a secret service agent at you know guarding the white house and the white house came under a shack attack he said is it like my face is where his waist is right like he says <laughs> he says so you know some people just should not be guarding the front door of the white house right <laughs> and, and he's so yeah i mean it's it it's a it's meant to be funny but it's also true it's like you know you're not going to have a 5 foot 3 woman as a security like on security detail for the prime minister because 90 percent of men could easily overpower her without without trying very hard either right so um yeah no i mean it's funny because he's also he's also one of those people who says that there's no difference between men and women and that gender is just a social construct and all that oh yeah okay yeah yeah, but you just have, but you have four men with guns, by the way, because you know, but guns, guns make their owners kill people. So, um, you know, but that doesn't hold true when it comes to his own security detail. Like the, the the hypocrisy that comes out of that man's mouth is is legendary at this point, and it, and we all know it. I mean. You you can't be a thinking human being and think that anything that guy says or does is correct.
0: Yep, that's true. So uh, we'll wrap this up by saying there was uh, an invited guest to that Saskatchewan throne speech that has caused a heck of a lot of controversy, at least here, because uh, MLA Lyle Stewart, who has been in politics for about 3,000 years, um, invited... Well, convicted murderer who has served his time and is now a, a free man. But uh, Colin Thatcher, so how came to the throne speech. Now, for those who don't remember Colin Thatcher, you're forgiven because his crime was almost 40 years ago. Um, he was convicted of murdering his ex-wife, Joanne Wilson, in Regina. And he was a former progressive conservative MLA. His father, Ross Thatcher, was actually a premier of Saskatchewan in the Liberal Party at one time and yeah Colin Thatcher he uh, did his time he wrote a, a, a book which was a, a Canadian bestseller which means it sold more than 5,000 copies so I can't say it's a international bestseller by any means but he wrote a book about his experiences and the Saskatchewan government very quickly passed legislation so he couldn't profit from said book but he could come and attend the throne speech
1: yeah that was a uh how do i put this kindly uh a misjudgment
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and that's what wild stewart said an error in judgment whoops
1: yeah i mean that's a big freaking error i mean (laughs) what makes you think that that's a good idea I mean, especially for a guy like Lyle Stewart, who's been in politics, like you said, for 3,000 years, I mean, that's something a guy like him should have known better.
0: Yeah, and his his only defense was, oh, Colin and I are, are, are good friends. Well, that also was probably an error in judgment to say you're good friends with a convicted murderer, but that's just
1: me. Yeah, yeah I know. When I saw him say that, too, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you're you're good friends with a murderer. (laughs) I I think that says a lot about your judgment, Lyle, and maybe this is time for you to retire. Yeah,
0: exactly. So, um, well, we won't say retire, but we will say retreat. Where in the world is Doug Ford? So we had said to you back in February that Doug Ford had gone sledding on the second weekend that the Freedom Convoy was in Ottawa. And now, during the inquiry, that's actually come out that, huh, well, we we're, we were right. He was indeed out sledding, except we were the only ones talking about it. So he had been subpoenaed to appear to testify. And he's getting a lot of, lot of flack over this in media, because now he's in hiding. He hasn't shown up at the legislature. He's filed a countersuit to avoid testifying, even though he had said before, oh, I, I just haven't been asked. And that was proven to be a lie. And yep, now he is fighting tooth and nail not to testify. And you actually kind of good good reason why that might be.
1: Yeah, because he's gonna have to explain why he supported the Emergencies Act when it's been proven over and over again in these proceedings that nobody asked for it. Nobody thought it was necessary except for the PMO. And Doug Ford, and it, and it's, I mean, yeah, it, and it's funny because like the 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 mainstream media in Canada really must have been struggling hard back in February, um, trying to decide if they if they hate Doug Ford more than they hate the truckers, or it turned out that they hated the truckers more than they hated Doug Ford because they never reported on his snowmobile tr- uh, um, weekend when we were um it uh he's he's in a bit of a pickle here um because he has to explain why he supported the emergencies act when nobody wanted it and nobody thought it was necessary and yet if it was that bad that he needed that they needed to have the emergencies act why was he out snowmobiling instead of trying to rectify the situation?
0: Yep, you're absolutely right. He, uh, and I mean, as we, we said in our show last week, too, I mean, he had said he stood shoulder to shoulder with the prime minister only for the next day, a phone call to be released between Jim Watson and Justin Trudeau. Well, kind of stabbing Doug Ford in the back. And yeah, you're right. He's going to have to account for why he supported the Emergencies Act when we we're finding out more and more that nobody really wanted it except Justin Trudeau and Marco Mendicino. And there was a, a moment in the testimony this past week, and I wish I could remember the lawyer's name, but he was interviewing a gentleman from the, the Ottawa Police Communications. And this gentleman on the, the stand had said that he had presented a plan that you know came from the, the Freedom Convoy protesters, he was good with it. He brought it to Marco Mendicino's deputy minister who also said, yep, no, well, that's good. We have a plan to move the trucks to Wellington street. You know, this was, and this was February 13th. So the day before the emergencies act was invoked, this deputy yeah. minister had said, Kate, okay, leave this with me. I'm going to bring it to uh to, to cabinet. And the, then uh, the lawyer had, had said, okay, well, you know, do you know if you're, if this plan had made it to Marco mendicino and he says, Well, I'm not sure. He says, Well, I can tell you that it did make it to uh Marco mendicino and the emergencies act was invoked the next day. And it was just kind of like that's almost a mic drop moment. Cause like, yep, I can tell you your plan actually did get through to the people involved. They did hear that there was no need for the emergencies act, and they went ahead and, and invoked it anyway because, well,
1: because they're a bunch of dickheads. Well, yeah, I mean. They wanted to seize bank accounts that's what it was over it was the emergencies act was over seizing bank accounts and that's it that's the only thing that they did that the emergencies act gave them permission to do everything else could have been done under the law that we are like the laws that are already on the books
0: um yeah. and brenda lucky even said the night before the Freedom Convoy, the late in, in the wee hours bef- before the Emergency Act was invoked, she even said at that time, no, no, we still have other tricks up our sleeve with existing policing powers. But it appears that nobody actually was listening to anybody who said we didn't need it because they had got their tunnel vision. And yeah, like you say, they wanted to go after financing.
1: Yeah. And is it just me or is Marco Mendocino just a repulsive human being? um yes yeah okay so it's not just me
0: nope in fact every time i hear his name i just think serial fibber marco mendicino and uh andrew lawton actually on his one of his late shows this week had suggested that once this is all said and done marco mendicino was likely going to be the fall guy and the one who gets fired because he's the dumbest and yeah. uh, what I thought was hilarious was Andrew Lawton even said that, well, we know that Marco Mendicino doesn't have two IQ points to rub together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's it's true. I mean, it, it, isn't it interesting how when the conservatives, you know, you look at the conservative cabinet and it's full of people with lots of education, with lots of, uh, you know, they have... Um, lots of uh, real-world work experience I mean aside from their leader <laughs> yeah. Pierre poliev has been in government since he was 24 years old so um, but uh, but I mean like the 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 opposition benches are full of talent and really smart people and then the Liberals are full of really dumb untalented um power hungry miscreants i mean it's i I don't know how else to put it these that is starting right at the top they're 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 not smart in fact quite the opposite they're slimy uh you know allegedly crooked politicians like it's just I, I, i've never seen such an incompetent group of people in government in my life um, i mean ottawa the city of ottawa even had the ability to tow those trucks away themselves they didn't even need to hire tow truck companies and they didn't they didn't do it yeah,
0: exactly. That's something else that came out this week. The city of Ottawa actually has two heavy tow trucks of their own, which I'm going to guess are used if a city bus breaks down or whatnot yeah. to, to tow it. And they just left them parked. No, we, we have drivers for them, but no, no, we're not going to call them. It's like, yeah, like it just, there was nothing but incompetence from every level of government. And well, I guess, we're seeing the results. I mean, they're, the competent people actually were the ones behind the scenes who were making deals to move trucks onto Wellington Street, who were communicating, yeah. yep, we're coming to town, we're going to be here this day, et cetera. And either they were just, you know, had people go over their heads to make decisions or they were just ignored. We're, we're still not sure about all that end of it yet. But yeah, the competent people got thrown aside.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were competent people in this whole process. I mean, we've we've. I mean, we've talked about it last week, but I mean, we we know from the uh, from the uh, inquiry here that the convoy organizers were in constant contact with the Ottawa Police Service. They were in constant contact with the OPP, and um, and there was a plan. I mean, that's why. I mean, if you look at where all the trucks parked and everything when they got to Ottawa it was all organized like that was organized and it was all organized with the help of the Ottawa Police Service so that they would have the least amount of impact possible with that many trucks um, on uh, on traffic flow in the city of Ottawa and as it turns out They did have very little impact on traffic flow in the city of Ottawa, unlike what some left-wing politicians want you to believe. Um, and, uh, And those competent people did a really good job. It was the incompetence of the Prime Minister and his cohorts that... It lasted three weeks, that it got to the point of using the Emergencies Act, uh, all of those things. It was all caused by the PMO. It was all caused by Trudeau and his and his merry band of wanderers. And because, I mean, all he had to do all he had to do was meet with them and listen to their concerns. And even if he ignored them, at least made them feel like they'd been heard.
0: Yep, that's true. And I guess we should also include uh, the chief Peter slowly, who had said that he was the Ottawa police service chief who resigned and yeah. said he, he thought they would only be there for a weekend and then be gone. So it's like, okay, you clearly weren't listening to the people who, uh, we're under your command so <laughs> yeah
1: well i mean and that and he is another one of those incompetent people and and him um uh resigning at the end of all this was a, was a smart move on his part um because uh because he showed his incompetence i mean the, pol- the ottawa police service was fully cooperative with the uh with the convoy and he was saying that they weren't, right? Um, so, I mean, he's a liar too. There's so many liars. And that's something that this whole process has shown me is that there are very few people that tell the truth. And um, I've learned a lot over the last, you know, two and a half years of COVID and, and everything is that there are very few people of character there are very few people of uh that tell the truth there are very few people that um are competent in in what they do um and uh and unfortunately the overwhelming majority of those people are in the liberal party
0: yep that's true and uh well actually let's just use that as our segue to get into other uh... Former members of the Liberal Party of Ontario and the NDP and even Progressive Conservatives. What the hell's going on in southern Ontario reelecting these recycled politicians? So um, Patrick Brown reelected as mayor of Brampton. Yeah. Andrea Horvath wins as mayor of Hamilton. Stephen Del Duca wins as mayor of Vaughan. Now, what do all these people have in common? I wonder.
1: Uh, they are uh, none of them could win on the provincial level, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, and Patrick Brown he tried in provincial and federal, and of course, we know he was kicked out of the conservative party leadership race. And this is what bugs me he gets reelected, even though it had been shown that he was using city of Brampton taxpayer money to pay his chief of staff to make calls, promote him. And advertised for him to when he was running for leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Yeah. Yet he still got reelected as mayor of Brampton when the CPC thing didn't work out. Facepalm.
1: Yeah. Um, come on, Ontario, stop being stupid. I mean, I mean, you reelected John Tory in Toronto too, like. What the hell is wrong with you? Like, it, uh, uh, Toronto is experiencing the worst gang violence in its history. And it's not subsiding. It's only getting worse. The highest murder rates. The, the, uh, um, it, it's, the homeless situation is incredibly bad in Toronto. And nothing's being done about it, like, and yet you reelect the guy who's doing nothing about these problems. Like, what's wrong with you? At least in in BC, in BC here we had our civic elections uh, a couple of weeks before Ontario, and mayors all mayors and councils all over BC got booted out. like Vancouver, Victoria, uh you know, Kelowna, uh er, er, all the cities all the cities with 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 gang problems and with homeless problems all got their uh, mayors and city councils booted out. I mean and in and in Ontario you just reelected you know, the guy in the city with the worst problems who has done nothing to make them any better. And you've re-elected a guy in Brampton who 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 used public funds to to run his leadership campaign for the conservative party. You you've you've elected Andrea Horvath in Hamilton. Um, I mean I i uh, i i i i don't know I, I don't even know what to say i mean I, I don't understand how you guys vote federally i don't understand how how ontario you know keeps electing uh you know justin trudeau and how you know they have such a high tolerance level for liberal corruption and incompetence um i don't understand your how you reelect these incompetent local leaders and yeah i I just don't get it i don't get it ontario is a different world and and i and unfortunately um it affects the rest of the country
0: (laughs) yeah and i really don't get the stephen del duca thing okay so he couldn't win his seat provincially two elections in a row then he runs to be mayor of Vaughan, and oh okay well we don't want you in in the in queens park but yeah, let's put you in city hall in Vaughan. And <laughs> God, anybody who watched the provincial election in Ontario had to be looking at Stephen Del Duca. And hey, you heard the lady on CBC. I mean, he's bald. And, uh, you know, people aren't going to vote for a bald guy. But I guess you will, if he's city of Vaughan, doesn't matter how stupid
1: he is. Did someone <laughs> at CBC actually say that?
0: Yeah, some lady on the power panel on uh, power and politics had said that, that, uh, well, remember, because you brought the term up that there people were hair bigots.
1: Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes, I remember this now, hair bigots.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Ontario, that's, uh, well, congratulations, you're going to get what you, what you deserve on that one. So um we've yep. got a few minutes left here let's talk a little bit about well you brought up the uh, the understaffing in police in, in agencies and well they've actually decided that yep they're so understaffed that police agencies are saying they don't have the manpower to enforce gun confiscation
1: so hey
0: that's that's good news to me
1: yep thank thank you to everybody who doesn't want to be a cop right now um <laughs> because because uh, in, in these gun this, these gun bans are are they might be constitutional they might not be constitutional I don't know but they're wrong and Alberta has said they won't they won't participate Saskatchewan Manitoba uh, New Brunswick have all said they won't participate. Uh, I UConn? don't know. I don't know if the Yukon said they would not. I thought that they had put a motion in the in their uh, legislature, and it was it was defeated. Oh. Um, so, uh, but at least Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and New Brunswick are all saying they won't participate. And in the other provinces, the police are saying we can't participate. We don't have the resources or the money, um, or the or the personnel so that's good um it's bad because like i just said a few minutes ago we have rising gang problems and homeless situations in all the provinces um and the fact that they don't have enough personnel and uh and resources to do the jobs that they need to do to do even without a gun ban a gun confiscation that they have to uh implement um it's uh that's that's a bad thing but it, but you know as a uh legal law-abiding licensed rcmp vetted gun owner i'm saying you know thank god they don't have enough people working for them right now to 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 implement this gun confiscation program yep absolutely so
0: we've got one more topic we're going to wrap this up on canada and it's one that's going to burn your bagels as dan bongina would say Now, when i brought up the the term six thousand dollars to you before the show lewis you actually hadn't heard this story no so there was a, with whatever the name of the hotel is where justin trudeau was in the piano bars Sydney Bohemian Rhapsody, I can't remember the name right now, but it is yeah. one of the most exclusive hotels in London, just happens to have a suite that costs $6,000 per night that was rented out to the Canadian government, and Justin Trudeau has done everything in his power not to answer Pierre Polyev's question in the House of Commons as to who might have stayed in that hotel room, in the hotel where Justin Trudeau was recorded singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Maybe it's yeah, just a coincidence that he happened to be in that hotel lobby at that $6,000 a night suite hotel. I don't
1: know. Yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss. I don't know who it possibly could have been.
0: Yeah, exactly. And he's, uh, of course, Justin Trudeau is just talking about, oh, well, Canada had a big delegation and they, you know, they needed accommodations. And then I find out, and thank you Toronto Sun for this, that Canada actually has a property called Canada House of all things in Trafalgar Square, where a lot of that delegation could have stayed, well, for free. And I'll point out that Joe Biden actually did that, uh, stayed at an American government property in London, and did not bilk American taxpayers $6,000 a night for a suite that allegedly nobody stayed in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and this is the kind of this is the kind of thing that I am referring to when I talk about liberal corruption and liberal incompetence, and how the voters in certain parts of this country just don't seem to care. Um, I mean, that's a gross misuse of government or of Canadian taxpayer funds. Um, whether it was Justin Trudeau or it was the AG, or sorry, not the AG, the GG, um, who stayed in that room. I mean, I'm guessing it was Trudeau since he's the one who will not answer questions about it. Um, I mean, Bev Oda lost her job because she had a $16 glass of orange juice. And a six thousand dollar a night hotel room does not even register anymore. I yeah, mean, it,
0: to be fair, it, it came with a butler, so that butler could, would, couldn't come cheap.
1: Oh, okay. Well, now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's worth it, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, see, but, this is the kind of thing that I think at least like with the $16 glass of orange juice, that's something that you and I can both identify with because I go out to my local breakfast joint and a glass of orange juice is three bucks. And I get a little upset about it, but all Canadians stay at hotels as well. And I look at a hotel room and I think 200 bucks is a lot of money. So 6,000 bucks and our prime minister won't even own up and say who stayed there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you can't tell me that. Oh, yeah, we had a large delegation, so we needed a place to stay. You can't use that as your reason for renting a six thousand dollar a night room. I mean, what did like thirteen people all stay in that one room and share a couple of beds? I don't think so. <laughs> like, that's that's like a presidential suite, right? Like that's that's like a bedroom and it's got a living room and all of this like it's got a huge footprint right and it's you didn't fill it up with cots
0: nor did he bring sophie and the kids
1: so when does he ever bring sophie and the kids i haven't seen sophie and the kids in what three years at least at least like I mean, I know that the rumors in Ottawa are that they're not together anymore. Um, And it's been like that for a few years. So why does he spend $7,500 a month on food? Why does he have a $6,000 room in, um, in London? I mean, if he's by himself, like... Yeah, this is just ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean it's again, like you say, it's these entitled corruptocrats that we've we've got in yeah. the Liberal Party is full of them.
1: Yeah, and, entitlement, man.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's uh Canadians because we should all be absolutely outraged at this. And yet this is gonna be in the news cycle for a couple of days, and
1: we're gonna say, eh, what do you do? Yeah, but, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, in the grand scheme of, th- of the things that he has done, this is pretty minor. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> like to say that a $6,000 a night hotel room is pretty minor, just tells you the kind of crap that this guy has done in the past six years.
0: Well, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's, uh, it is sad. But all right, Canada, we're going to wrap it up on that one. So um, I, on a programming note, I want to point out now that the uh, inquiry is on our February 2nd freedom convoy episode is suddenly getting a lot more listens. So I don't know if, uh, if you and I are being used as research or if uh, people uh, just suddenly spiked an in interest, but yeah, I was actually quite shocked to see like it was already our most popular episode by far. And there was like a bump 10% in the the listens just in this last week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean you say maybe they're using it for research well let's just hope it's not the police
0: well you know it's funny i texted that to you uh what a week ago i said i hope i hope that it's not ceases in the rcmp listening to our episode but, <laughs> yeah. but
1: maybe yeah. they were <laughs> yeah yeah i hope i hope that's not what it was yeah
0: <laughs> all right canada well thank you for joining us and until next week it is tony in saskatchewan
1: and Lewis in BC. Good night.
0: Good night, Canada.
1: This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony.